Welcome to Center Ice for our annual NHL Draft episode. Once again, we are joined by Steve Cornianos, also known as the Draft Analyst. Steve is an expert on prospects and the entry draft. You can find his work on thedraftanalyst.com. So first of all, Steve, we're in a pandemic year and there has been hardly any in-person scouting. So how much does that affect teams' decisions at this draft? Uh, significantly, we could go over a whole bunch of things that didn't happen this year, specifically the the tournaments, right? All those big time tournaments where, you know, you start them in mid to late July and that kind of sets the foundation for your draft year and spe specifically too for the top players because usually the top players are the ones that play in these tournaments. And so, uh, you know, usually once you start with that, those, those late mid to late summer tournaments, it just kind of carries on and you will always have like at least like one or two, really all the way up until the end of the season, up until May, uh, right up, up to the draft, you have at least anywhere from 10 to 15 tournaments. And so we only had, I think one this year, real two, if you count the world junior. So only two major events on top of that, uh, you know, you didn't have the OHL season at all. Uh, you didn't have WHL playoffs. So I think, you know, when you don't, when you play a full season, uh, you, you get a chance to see a prospect go through the highs and lows, how they play against sport teams, how they play against good teams, playoff games, uh, long overtimes. And we, we didn't get that opportunity. And on top of that, uh, there was barely any live scouting done. And I think if you talk to a, a professional scout, they'll tell you that they'd, they'd much rather be at the rink than in an office watching games on film. Uh, I, I definitely lean more towards film. I can only travel so much, but um, yeah, definitely the most challenging year for myself personally uh, in the seven, eight years I've been doing this. But uh, I think the the biggest impact we'll see is, uh, well, not impact, but I think the, the biggest difficulties that you'll find for the scouting community is that uh, do they go off of last seasons or two seasons ago, th th that performance, if they have enough uh, data and viewings Let's say, for example, for, for an OHL kid, um, or uh, are you just going to basically skip over um, a lot of Canadian major junior kids who didn't play and focus more on Europe and, and the United States because they basically they they didn't have any seasons that got canceled. So it, it'll be, it's very difficult. I think maybe the, the only good thing is that a lot of the kids that get passed over this year, they'll just get another shot, you know, within the next two years while they're still, they're, they're still eligible. So we could see a, a much larger OHL and WHL group in 2022 uh, than this year. But um, yeah, it's been, it hasn't been easy. That's for sure. Yeah, it certainly hasn't been easy, but scouting still has happened and scouts have worked through a real challenging year so let's talk about some of the top american draft prospects who do you like coming from the united states going into the draft this year yeah it's a strong year for the americans specifically the ushl um obviously i think uh, well based on my rankings uh, right at the top i have matt benia as the center uh who uh, i have ranked number two he was a product of the ntdp boston area kid who played for Michigan, University of Michigan this past year. And uh, he kind of like set the standard because of his hard work and his motor and his physicality. And kind of like he's just the guy that you want on the ice when you need to, let's say, kill a penalty or hold a lead. And we saw how well he played at the World Juniors where he wasn't really putting up points, but he was definitely driving possession and breaking up plays and making all those, uh, you know, those, those clutch defensive stops. So, uh, and that, that's kind of like how most of the American uh, players are, uh, the, a lot of two-way types. You got a lot of skill types also in uh, forwards like Matt Carnado and Matt Kisamaskevich. They played for Chicago in the USHL. 
Both are projected to be first round picks or at least close to it. Uh, and then you got uh, pretty some pretty good defensemen as well. You know, you got the NTDP, the National Team Development Program. They have uh, four or five defensemen, specifically beginning with Luke Hughes, uh, Jack Hughes's and Quinn Hughes's uh, younger brother, youngest brother. That, uh, you know, he's going to go to Michigan next year after a pretty solid season. He had a little bit of an injury at the end. Uh, but um, there's also some underrated defensemen as well. Guys like Aiden Hershuk and uh, Jack Peart. Uh, Scott Morrow is a big uh, skating defenseman. He's a really good uh, skater with uh, kind of like a finesse offensive type. Uh, uh, you got uh, kids like Ryan Ufko. So it's, it's a pretty extend, uh, pretty deep class uh, for the United States. I think that uh, you'll probably see both Hughes and Benias get drafted in the top five or close to, to that. And then thereafter, there's some wild cards. Uh, Sasha Pasajov is a scoring wing. Uh, Chaz Lucius was projected to be a potential top 10 pick, and he had some injury issues, uh, and, but he's pretty, still a pretty good goal scorer. So I, I think that it won't be as as deep uh, as the 2019 draft, where you, you saw the, the Americans, I think the USHL had like 50 kids drafted or something like that it was like a record. Uh, but you will see, I think you'll they'll, you'll see American high school kids and USHL prospects make up for the the Ontario League and and WHL kids that just weren't weren't viewed enough uh, this particular season. Now, what about the, the Arizona Coyotes? They don't have a first round pick, but they do have some second round picks. Who do you feel this organization should be targeting going into the draft? This draft is kind of wide open that it's not like they're missing out on the deepest draft class in 10 years or, or one, a draft that's considered to be one of the best in, in recent memory. It's actually one of the weaker ones in recent memory. History might be kinder to it. So I, I, I think that, you know, when you look at uh, some of the areas where they've, uh, they're, they're kind of thin on, I think right wing is, is a big concern. I think defense is a concern as well, outside of maybe Soderstrom, uh, the kid they drafted in the first round a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, they, people call this draft a defense-heavy draft, but it's after the top five or ten defense prospects, um, you're getting more like second, third, fourth-round quality. I don't think we'll see a, a 2012-type season where you're going to have eight to ten uh, defensemen in the first round, probably only going to get maybe four or five. Uh, so by the time the Coyotes are picking uh, in the early second round, they could address both those needs. Uh, they have, you know, they have skill. Uh, they have Jan Yannick, they have Barrett Hayton, uh, the, the Coyotes, as they have Liam Kirk. He had a really good uh, world championship for uh, for uh, Brit uh, Britain over there, Matthias Michelli. So I think that there's definitely skill. Uh, they don't really have a whole lot of, uh, like, I guess, size and grit and physicality on defense. So maybe that might be, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, playmakers on defense. So maybe try to address power play quarterback. Uh, and also address like like finishers because goal scoring has been a big problem at the NHL level for them. So uh, I think they'll be able to find uh, quality scoring wings that'll maybe slip down out of the first round into that early second, and and they could really do that. They they could also uh, you know address goaltending if they want to as well. That's an area that isn't uh, all that deep in the organization. So uh, I would say that this draft. You know, you had those two drafts where you, you know, you, you got, well, you trade away Taylor Hall, you traded for Taylor Hall, so you didn't have a first round pick last year. This year you had the forfeited pick. I think this draft is is going to be like the, the, the beginning of what you'd kind of want to call a rebuild or a retool, where the window looks to be, seems to be closing a little bit now. They're going into a new division. Things are going to be a little bit different. Um, I don't know if they'll be spending money in the offseason. 
and you know you also have the expansion draft so uh you know they could approach this draft like from a just i guess a pure skill standpoint maybe get some some playmakers just to help the offense out because they have some good young talent at the nhl level they just need support in your opinion steve who are the biggest risers and fallers in this year's draft class risers um th- there's a couple of names that that have been getting uh, uh getting a lot of i guess they're generating a lot of steam uh, uh two defensemen in particular one is logan mayu who played uh, for the London Knights. Well, he played briefly for the London Knights. He was a high draft pick in the OHL priority uh, selection. And uh, he only played a handful of games two years ago. And then he had to go to Sweden. Like a lot of OHL kids, uh, they had to go to Europe this year to play because of the shutdown. So he's he's uh, he's like the prototypical modern-day NHL defenseman, I guess. You know, he's big. He could skate. He's got one of the best shots in the draft. Physical. And when he went to that, uh, that Swedish team, it was like kind of like ECHL level uh, quality, the league play. But he he instantly became one of the top players on that team and was a leader, like logging big minutes. So I, I could see him being a potential like uh, top 15, 20 pick, maybe one of those defensemen that uh, is outside the consensus top 10 or 15. And he'll be able to sneak in there. Uh, and another uh, guy that really he's shot up rankings like crazy is Cole Jordan. Uh, he's a left defenseman that plays for Medicine Hat in the WHL. Medicine Hat was not a good team this year. They got a couple of decent draft prospects up front in Ryder Korzak and Eric Gallery. But uh, this kid, Jordan, I mean, I, I call him Feast of Famine because he's, he's like 6'3", but he's probably one of the best skaters in the draft, not just for defensemen, for anyone. I mean, he is a beautiful skater, and he's mean, he's physical. So you're like, well, why isn't this kid a top five, a top ten pick if he could you know? Be, be skate like the wind and hit and uh, plays on the power plays a good passer doesn't really have any major red flags but at the same time he was undrafted in the WHL and his decision making every now and again is kind of like you know he's the kind of guy where he'll do a beautiful end to end rush and then turn the puck over at the last minute and then he's basically out of position at least to an opposing odd man rush so um, those two names keep keep rising. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if both end up in the in the late first round, early second round. Uh, and then you got the kid Svechkov out of Russia. Now I've been high on him all season, and people were uh, a lot of people were kind of questioning why I was so bullish on him. There were others who were, who were bullish on him as well, uh, but Svechkov is like a, one of the better two way centers in the draft, and uh, he centered Russia's top line at the U eighteen. Uh, world championship he did a great job there was the leader on his team kind of a weak team in the russian junior league got promoted to the adult age uh, team in the vhl and did uh, did his magic there so uh he's a guy that i think people might look at as uh the the center who would be a great option once mapineers because it's not a deep draft for centers it's pretty thin. So after Mappineers is gone, you have mostly wings and defensemen. There are a couple of guys like Mason McTavish and Cole Sillinger who are going to be top 10, 15 picks who could play either or. Uh, but as far as pure center icemen, I would say that Svechkov is the second best after Beniers. As far as like guys that are falling, I think Atu Raddy, uh, I mean, he was he was a guy that we all considered to be a uh, almost uh, as close to a sure thing as possible. He was my con- he was my number one pick in my preseason uh, ranking. And he, he just, he he never got out, off to a good start. And from the beginning of the season to the very end, it was always an up and down roller coaster ride. Uh, didn't produce, so the numbers don't help his case. He didn't make the finished world junior team. So that you know, raised uh, eyebrows. 
you know, he said that he had some motivation issues. So there's a lot of things that uh, it was almost like a perfect storm to take Raddy and knock him from that number one perch and all the way down. Now, he might not even get drafted in the first round. Um, uh, so, you know, other than that, though, like it wasn't that really that kind of a draft. We had such high expectations where we expected kids to fall. Uh, Sasha Pashajov, uh, the kid I mentioned, uh, I thought of him as a potential top 10 pick because of his production with his center chairs, Lucius injured, but uh, watching him more, he doesn't really compete all that hard. And he's kind of like one dimensional as a, just a shooter, although it's, he's a pretty good shooter. Uh, so I, I think those are some of the names, like those two, you know, Pashajov, Lucius and Raddy were all in my top uh, five at one point or other this season. And they're all basically out of the top 15 now. So I could see uh, two of those three guys, maybe all three slipping out uh, out of the first round and into the second round. One player I've heard a lot of opinions on is Kent Johnson. He's a very skilled player, but nobody's really sure where he's going to go. Where would you rank him and where would you take him if you were a GM? I love Johnson. He's he's my number four. Uh, I got him ranked ahead of some pretty notable names. He he's a scorer. I mean, he is a scorer, and he's got uh, he's got a good build. I mean, he's about six one, one seventy five. He's going to get even bigger because he's in college. Uh, was the I think the second leading scorer amongst freshmen in the NCAA this year, and a pure freshman, not like a twenty year old freshman. Uh, and the thing about Johnson, he played he played in the BCHL uh, in the British Columbia Hockey League in his draft minus one season and not only was he the leading scorer as one of the youngest players in the league he won the scoring title by like 35 points uh you know people couldn't even touch him and he's just a, a high profile fantastic uh scoring wing he could play center as well actually this is natural position so um you know i don't know what the knock on him would be i mean he, he competes pretty hard off the puck he's a good four checker he he's responsible in the neutral zone he always thinks offense, and that's kind of what you want out of these guys. So it's not like he's, uh, let's say, uh, necessarily derelict in his duties in the defensive zone. But, you know, some people think his skating is average. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't let any of those things get in the way of, of drafting a kid that has literally has like 75, 80 point potential in the NHL, if not more. So uh, I got him ranked number four. I think he's not going to slip outside the top 10. But I think, you know, what usually happens is they have these interviews. And uh, so a, a scouts might be really high on a kid and then they get him in the interview room with all the, you know, the, the, the big wigs and the executives and the scouts and the front office types. And maybe a kid flunks an interview. And then it's like what happened with Matt Barzell. Matt Barzell was drafted outside of the top 10 because it wasn't really about the knee injury that he had. People were concerned about his character because he came off a little bit cocky and said, I, I'm one of the best players in this draft. And it looks, turns out that he was right, you know, and uh, much to uh, the chagrin of the players, the teams that passed on him. So uh, I'm not saying that that's the case with, with Johnson. I'm just saying if he does slip or fall, then it could be something like that, not necessarily uh, his skating or his defensive play or his IQ or anything like that. Owen Power seems to be the consensus number one pick at the moment in the draft. What are your thoughts on Owen Power? Uh, do you think he'd be a good fit in Buffalo if Buffalo decides to uh, take him in the number one spot? Uh, he'd be a good fit anywhere. I mean, he, he's ready. He's mature. I know he's come out and said that he, he's leaning towards going back to college because he wants the experience and he wants to win a national championship there with the Wolverines. They got a great team, so I can understand why. And it looks like what Powers saying is the same thing as what his teammates Ken Johnson and Matt Beniers are saying as well. Like they might all three might all return uh, to Michigan next season. Um, so with Buffalo, listen, they're a mess. 
Uh, they have a lot of internal issues. They have uh, issues at the NHL level. Their farm system's okay. Uh, left defense is actually one area where they're actually quite strong in. Uh, so maybe, you know, you, you always say that you never want to draft for need with your first overall pick, but at the same time, it's not that kind of draft. Like he, he became the consensus number one, mostly because of how he played in that tournament, the world, the men's worlds, and he deserves it. He was fantastic. And he's my number one. Uh, but I think the Sabres, it, it wouldn't hurt them if they would actually trade down. Uh, well, if they decide not to take power, if they do decide to take him, uh, he, he could fit right in. They, they, it's kind of low, the the, uh, the the defense pool and the organization still kind of wide open. They got a lot of questions that they got to uh, answer this off season. And uh, he's a mature kid. I think he could actually handle the pressure uh, the pressure the, the, quite well. You know, all the the, uh, the stuff that's going on, the extracurricular stuff going on with Jack Eichel and what have you. I think uh, he's the kind of mature kid that it's just going to, uh, you know, it's not going to face him at all. He's going to go out there, plays 22, 23 minutes a night. I think he, he could contribute. Uh, one thing that he, he, he does deserve credit for, though, is that he said another reason why he might want to return to Michigan is just to improve on his defensive game. Now, if you watch him at the men's worlds where he's playing against NHL talent, uh, it didn't look like he needed any he needed any help improving in anything. I mean, he was one of the best defensemen, if not one of the best players in that whole tournament. He was just outstanding. And Gerard Gallant, his coach, even said so. So uh, I'm a big Owen Power guy. If he goes back to college, not a big deal. But I think the Sabres... If they take him or if they pass on him, either way, they'll still come out with a pretty good player. With the lack of in-person scouting this year, you already mentioned that there'll be a lot of players that are passed over that might not have in other years. Do you see any hidden gems in the later rounds this year? Yeah, there there, there, there are a lot. Uh, a lot of European kids. Uh, you know, the, the European, uh, I guess if you want to call it, uh, is, uh, issue is that the North American scouts were not able to go to Europe to watch them play. I mean, at least for the most part, I don't know, especially if a lot of the scouts are based out of Canada, you literally had travel restrictions where you were not allowed to leave the country. So because the season, uh, you know, kind of like we didn't see this, I guess, like uh, this downturn uh, or this dip uh, with the pandemic, uh, like, you know, it was pretty high, like it was peaking during the season that maybe they didn't see a lot of kids play. So, but you have, you have kids out of Belarus, right? Uh, Kuzmin, the, the fancy defenseman there. Uh, Klimovich, Kozlov, uh, the, the goalie, fantastic prospects. Uh, Finland has a lot of good defense prospects. Alexei Hamasalmi, uh, Alexei Malinin, Topias Villain. They're probably none of them going to be first round picks, but you'll probably see them later on. Uh, the the Swedes have some pretty good prospects coming out this year, but uh, uh, I think most of their notable guys will be picked in the first round. But uh, they got one guy, and his name is uh, Linus Shodin, who I like a lot. He's a he's a guy who earned the promotion, and this is what one of the things I look for in terms of you want to talk about uh, you know evaluating players and, and looking for you know the red flags or looking for the positives. Um, so this kid Shodin was playing at the J twenty level. And he was a second line center for Rogla J20, and 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 Rogla is a you know big program in Sweden, and he he wasn't the first line center because they had a veteran guy there like a 21 year old kid, but he played like he was the best player on the team in my opinion, as a center as a two way playmaking center. Well, Rogla and Rogla was outstanding in the SHL this year in the the, the Swedish Elite League. They had Moritz Sider, the top defense prospect for Detroit. They had a whole bunch of big names there, and they were a steamroller. Well, they promoted Shodin, and even though he only played, you know, fourth-line minutes, 
they they converted him to a wing and he was one of their more effective checkers in limited minutes so the fact that he could be basically a borderline dominant playmaker and set up guys a center in one league against his peers and then he goes to play against adults in one of the best leagues in the world and during a championship title run you know they, they fell short i believe in the final uh, it says a lot about his maturity. So, um, Rush has got some pretty good underage, uh, uh, underrated guys, too. Uh, they got a defenseman named Vasily Machulin, who, uh, I don't know, Central Scouting didn't even mention this guy, and he was fantastic. He, he's an overager. He was uh, he missed draft eligibility for this year by, like, about a month. He was an August 2002 birth date. But he was their number one. He's kind of like uh, an Ivan Provorov stylistically. Uh, so there's always going to be kids to sleep. I think this particular draft, you'll see a lot of kids come uh, become NHL players. I don't know about stars, but they'll become NHL players that were drafted out of, let's say, rounds four, five, or six. It's usually just because of the cap and the way this draft, how wide open it is. I, I think uh, teams will be more inclined to give these late round kids a look. And a lot of them have skill, too. I was really impressed with what I saw from Brennan Offman in the World Juniors. He has an incredible work ethic for a smaller player. Where do you feel like he lands in this draft? Do you think somebody takes him in the first round, maybe in the second? Yeah, he put on a show uh, at the U18 Worlds. I, I was there and I got a chance to see him play. I mean, he was, you know, he's fast, he he's physical. He's really physical, like a hard hitting guy. So, you know, he's not, I don't think he's that big. I think he's listed at about six, six foot six one about 180 which is you know he'll eventually grow into that and he'll, he'll add muscle but the, the way that he just obliterates so opponents i mean he, he's that high energy guy but he could do a lot more than just hit i mean he's a pretty good score he plays for flint in the ohl obviously he couldn't play this year because of the shutdown but you know flint you know i, I don't i wouldn't i won't go as to far uh go as far as to say that uh flint was able to make trades at the deadline two years ago because of having a guy like othman but, you know, they had Ty DeLandria, and he's gone. They had Evan Veerling. He was supposed to be their, their franchise guy. He he got traded to Barry. And so I, I think it, we should see Flint as being Othman's team. You know what I mean? He could play center. He could play wing. Uh, but he's, I think he's, uh, you know, uh, I think he could be uh, more of like a, uh, a hybrid, right? Where he could be a two-way physical center. He could be a, a scoring, goal-scoring wing. So he really does everything. Uh, he checks every block almost. And uh, it wasn't even just the way he played at the U18 tournament, though. He was really good. He went to Switzerland like several uh, OHL top kids did. Well, they went to Europe, you know, so Brant Clark was in Slovakia. Uh, Francesco Pinelli was in Slovenia. And Othman was on the same team as Mason McTavish. They were played for a team called Olten in the Swiss League. And the Swiss League is like a lesser version of the AHL. It's like an you know, basically uh, almost like an NCAA caliber kind of, uh, uh, but the, it's not a physical league. And, and Othman and, and McTavish went there and they just blasted people everywhere. And eventually uh, they developed a reputation of, hey, if these guys are on the ice, you got to look out for them. But that actually carries over to it. it. He plays that way in the OHL. He played that way at the U18 world. So I think he'll be a first round pick. Uh, I got him somewhere in the 20s, but I wouldn't be surprised if he sneaks into, let's say, the top 15. Now, Steve, Connor Bedard is not draft eligible until 2023, but he has been so impressive anywhere he's played early in his career. He's turning 16 years old. Is he the most exciting prospect since McDavid? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, and and I and this is one of those the benefits of, uh, of being able to see a player live is that you know, you can watch the highlights and and you could watch the, the the reels and you can watch video games on on stream. But 
you know, I wasn't really going to Texas to see Bedard play. I was like, all right, it's a little bonus. You know, and, you know, Matt Faye Mitchkov was there as well, the Russian kid, both eligible for the 2023 draft. I'm like, you know, I want to focus on the 2021 kids. It's their year. It's their time. So let me shine the spotlight on them. And, and Bedard, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you guys watched the tournament, but uh, I mean, not only just, first of all, he was destroying the WHL as a 15-year-old before the tournament. So he, 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 he joins Team Canada. And what amazes me about Bedard is that he's not uh, like, I mean, he's only 15, so he'll, he'll, he'll grow up and he'll grow and he'll get faster. And it'll, I mean, it's crazy to think how much better he could get, but that he was the most skilled player on Canada, a gold medal winning team that dominated that tournament with tons of talent everywhere, tons of puck skills, tons of leadership and, and, and just pure, raw, like outstanding hockey skill. And Bedard, in my opinion, was like blew them all away. I mean, his hands are phenomenal. His release, he scored that, that he was in a one-on-one situation uh, and against a very good defenseman in the gold medal game. And this is like a critical moment, a clutch moment. I believe they were trailing, actually. I think it might have been one nothing Russia or, or 2-1 Russia. And he, he, he goes, he cuts to the inside on his backhand and he wires one on the backhand top shelf. It was a, um, an amazing goal. So I, I remember when I did my, my recap of that pot of that tournament, I told people like buy his Jersey, get his autograph right now. If you got to pay 50 bucks for it, pay 50 bucks for it because it's going to be worth probably 5,000 in, in 25, 30 years. Well, maybe even more. I mean, he is a, just a phenomenal, absolutely generational. We could call him generational. I'll, I'll say that right now, that he he won't be in the Canadian Hockey League for long. He'll be in the NHL, like right, right when he gets drafted, he'll be in the NHL and, um, you know, do fantastic things. Let's uh, touch on the top goalie prospects coming into the draft this year which goalie prospects are standing out to you and any uh, hidden gems for goalies because quite often some of the top goalies in the league don't get drafted until later rounds and are often overlooked so what goalies do you like this year yeah that's a good question um so we have two that are potential top 15 picks uh one of them is uh, Jesper Wallstead, right? And Jesper Wallstead is from Sweden. Uh, you know, the, all these goalies are pretty pretty big. They're over like 6'1". Yeah, Wallstead's about 6'3". We've been talking about him for quite some time. Uh, he, youngest kid to ever play in the Swedish J20. He was only 14. And the previous younger kid, youngest kid was Victor Hedman. So, you know, special talent. Um, he was a number one for a chunk of the season. And uh, in the SHL, so he, he, he's mature. He's always kind of played against older competition, whether he was 14 or 16 or 19 or 18. He's always playing against an older compet- uh, older level. So, um, you know, he's kind of like a deep in the crease goalie. I could see him going easily top five, top 10. Uh, and then you have the other kid, Sebastian Kosa, big, bigger kid. He's a little bit different stylistically. He's like more athletic and flexible and, uh, you know, plays aggressive and he's a great puck handler. And, you know, six, I think he's six, seven, which is crazy. But he, although he's six, seven, he's very athletic and he, he's controlled in his movements and he could be just a difference maker. And I think his, his one loss record in the last two years with Edmonton in the, in the WHL is like 45 and like 10 or something crazy like that. So uh, as far as sleepers go with goaltending, I'm not as bullish on the North American goalie crop as I am on the European goalie crop. Uh, in Europe, there's a whole bunch of goalies uh, that we'll see drafted in the middle to late rounds, uh, maybe even higher. Uh, you got the, the kid Kosolov. I mentioned him f- from Belarus. He played in, in, I think he played for Dinamo Minsk 
in the KHL briefly. And then he went to that world uh, championship playing against men. And I believe he played a game. He started a game against the Czechs and was phen phenomenal. So you might see him. I think Central Scouting rated him pretty high as well. Uh, and then you got, the, there's a Russian kid out there. There's a couple of Russian kids. Uh, goalies that are pretty good. There's a bunch of them actually. But there's one kid, his name is Kirill Jurasimuk. I think I'm pronouncing it right. And he played for a team called Skaver Yagi. Now Skaver Yagi, it's a weird situation in the Russian Junior League where Skaver Yagi is like a farm system for the Ska 1946 team. So it's almost like, let's say like the Ottawa 67s, right? And 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 Gatineau playing in the same uh, league, right? Once, you know, the one, you know, you take Gatineau out of the Quebec League, you put him in the OHL. And, and let's say Gatineau is, is like a farm system for the 67s. So the 67s ha are a loaded team, but let's say if a guy gets hurt, they, they go to Gatineau and they take a guy from there and play in there. So Skaver Yagi is basically cannon fodder. They, they're always one of the teams that get, gets beat up and they actually have to play against this the, the, the team that they might even eventually get promoted to. It's a weird situation. Uh, but this guy, Jurassimuk, faced like 45 shots a night. Uh, it was ridiculous. And he was posting shutouts. He was beating all the powerhouses. And Central Scouting didn't rank him. No one really talked about him. And I was shocked because I even said that he should be one of the MVP candidates in the Russian Junior League this year. So, you know, with goalies, if you want to look at style or technique or mechanics, that's all fixable. You know, goalies don't hit their... We've seen goalies not hit their peak or prime until they're like, you know, 31 years old. So, uh, I don't know. If you're a goalie, you're stopping 40 shots a game over like a full season... And you're posting 45 save shutouts. Uh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna look at you. I'm gonna watch you, and I'm gonna consider you as a draft prospect. So, uh, I don't know if I'll get drafted. I'm. I ranked him. I ranked him somewhere like the 150s. I don't know if I'll get drafted, but um, he's one of those kids that eventually will see him. Uh, you know, at the World Juniors, and people are like, oh, why didn't he get drafted? Or oh, he'll be a big draft prospect now that he's 20. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a, it's a pretty actually. I'm I'm not like I said. I'm not bullish on the North American goalie pool. Uh, Benjamin Gaudreau, I guess, is uh, is a guy that people consider also first round quality. He plays for Sarnia, uh, you know, and he was the the goalie for Canada when they won gold at the U18s. But you know, I think it's it's Kosa, Wallstead, very close one two, and then after that, it's kind of wide open. All right, let's move on to some NHL related questions. So, Steve, if you look at the last kind of. 10 Stanley Cup champions, most of them have one thing in common, and that's that they have big, mobile, skilled defensemen that can play physical. There has been a big shift in terms of teams drafting smaller, skilled defenders higher in the draft. Do you think these results will force them to adjust their blueprint to winning a championship? That's a, that's a, that's a very good question, and it's actually it's something that I've been thinking about because I was, I was the one, I was one of several people uh, who were noticing the shift, right? Specifically with central scouting in their rankings, how, and their watch list, how their watch list used to be all big guys. You would have maybe anywhere from five to 10 defensemen who were under six foot, right? And if they were under six foot, they were like 5'11 to 5'10. Very rarely will you see defensemen 5'8 to 5'9. And that has completely shifted, right? So in the last four years now, now we're seeing, you know, you, you're seeing in, in the draft itself, right? So in a given draft year, let's say 2012 or 2010, you would see maybe 
like 10 players, maybe eight to 10 players drafted who were 5'9 or small or five under 5'10. Now you're seeing 25 and 30 kids getting drafted a year who are under 5'10 or 5'11 and not just getting drafted, they're going in the first round. You know, Kyle Yamamoto was a high first round pick. Cole Caulfield was a high first round pick. I mean, uh, Alex DeBrinkett should have been a high first round pick. As far as defensemen go, though, this is kind of like ties into what, like, you know, this is answering your question. Yes, absolutely. To win the Stanley Cup, you have to have big physical mobile defensemen. And I think that, and I'm going to call it the same, the Samuel Gerard example. I think someone brought it up to me and it makes sense that Samuel Gerard is one of the top young defensemen in hockey, but he got ragdolled in the postseason. And it was a clear, he clearly like was overmatched. And if you looked anywhere up and down, uh, if you look at any of the rosters, right, like you said, you're not going to see Samuel Gerard on that roster. And, and Colorado has not advanced. I'm not blaming this all on Samuel Gerard that Colorado can't get into the conference finals. Um, but so I think that the trend of smaller players, it'll continue with forwards. It will not continue with defensemen that sooner or later, the league's like, you know what? These small defensemen, yeah, they're skilled. Yeah, they can run a power play. Yeah, they, you know, whatever. You know, Quinn Hughes. And, and again, Quinn Hughes, I love him. Uh, he's a fantastic player. And he was actually, Quinn Hughes was like the poster child for supporting the theory that it's all about skill and not uh, size because he went against the, the, the big, mean, nasty St. Louis Blues, right? Defending Stanley Cup champions in two, the playoffs two seasons ago. And they had no answer for him. They could not slow him down. Uh, and and they ended up beating them. You know, Vancouver ended up uh, beating the Blues there in that in that series. Uh, but that might be, I think, the exception and not the rule. Like, you, not well, there's only one Quinn or two Quinn Cuses in the league at a given time. So, uh, I think you'll see uh, maybe not this draft, but at some point within the next two or three drafts, you're going to see a massive shift where you will not see small defensemen taking anymore, no matter how many lacrosse goals and through the electric shots they do and. Uh, how many shots they generate and what the analytics say. I think that if winning the cup should be the end state for every team. And you're not going to really do that with a small defenseman unless they're incredibly special and rare like a, a Quinn Hughes. Jack Eichel is almost certainly on the move here, Steve. Uh, where do you feel he would fit in best? And what do you think the Sabres should be looking for in a return in a hypothetical Jack Eichel trade? Well, the Sabres, uh, the best case scenario for the Sabres, if they could get him to stay. Uh, and I, I still think that with all the rumors going on, that it's still probably 60-40 that, that he stays in Buffalo. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, no, nah, he's gone, he's gone. But uh, I think that, um, you know, depending on the direction that the team decides to head towards, uh, where if they want, might maybe want to add a couple of pieces, help him out again. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe give him a shot to play for a new coach because he didn't really. I don't think he really played for Granado last year, and the Sabers actually played better on the Granado than they did on their uh, Kruger. But if he does get moved, if I was the Sabers, I'm moving him out west. I don't, I don't want him anywhere near my conference. I'm not sending him to the Rangers. I'm not sending him to to Boston. Um, clearly, Eichel's going to have a a say in uh, where he wants to go, I think. Uh, at least maybe, at least I would think he would. I think he's got a, uh, I don't know what his contract situation is, but uh, as far as no move and no trade. But um, I, I think my gut is telling me that it's going to be out West. And uh, as far as a return goes, listen, the Sabres are going to ask for the moon. They're not going to get the moon. 
All right. We've seen these massive mega deals before. It's not the 1980s or 90s anymore. You're not going to see uh, a trade like like a Lindros or Gretzky trade where, you know, uh, 11 guys are involved in uh, like cash and three first round picks. Jack Eichel's good. He's not that good. You know, he's a he's a, a number one center. He was a number one center on a bad team and he couldn't do anything for them like they couldn't win with him there. So if teams think that if they add Jack Eichel, he could be the missing piece then they'll be maybe more inclined to pony up but he's also expensive as well it's a cap situation uh so uh i'm looking at maybe you know like one like legitimate high quality nhl player right uh something someone like a like a, a middle six type player who could with the potential to be uh, a top line guy uh maybe two of the team's let's say top four prospects and and a first round pick Throw the first round pick in there, maybe two first round picks. I would say this though, um, that speaking of Bedard and Mitchkov in the 2023 draft, uh, that those first round picks are are going to be highly coveted. Uh, so, and I, I think GMs will be probably more inclined. Like, let's just say if the deal breaker is a 2023 first round pick, an NHL GM may be forced into trading away his favorite prospect or his favorite, you know, NHL youngster to keep that 2023 pick. And if I'm Buffalo, I'm, I'm asking for it because, you know, you want a shot. You definitely anyone should want a shot at drafting the next McDavid or the next Sidney Crosby. So, um, you know, it's not going to be, you know, your trade proposals is a lot of fun. You know, you could do it in a video game. You could do it on message boards and social media. But uh, I, I think in the end, uh, the Sabres are not going to win that trade. They're going to they're going to lose their best player, and it'll it'll won't be until probably like three or four years down the road where we can really evaluate what the Sabres got in return. There's lots of great American prospects that have already been drafted, but how would you rank the American prospects that have been drafted but have yet to make their NHL debut? Well, I mean that that that. Just look at the 2019 draft. You know that that draft was historic uh, for so many reasons. You know that that team that had Jack Hughes and Trevor Zegers. So now, so Zegers is already in the league now. Hughes is in the league for a couple of years now. Uh, you know, but now we're going to start seeing Cam York make an appearance. Spencer Knight is in the league now, but he's going to become a full-time starter eventually. Obviously, you saw Cole Caulfield in the playoffs, but you got other guys uh, from that program, from that draft class, like Matt Boldy uh, and Alex Turcotte, who who haven't, uh, you know, uh, who still are basically just scratching the surface at their potential. Um, and then, you know, you, you look at some of the kids even even uh, from 2018, like Oliver Wallstrom, right? Uh, he hasn't really, uh, I mean, he's played a little bit in the Islanders, but for the most part, I think you, know, you guys like John Farinacci, uh, guys that you saw at the World Juniors last year, Brett Berard, uh you know, those guys, it's just a matter of time. I mean, but uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, you know, if you're looking between 2015, beginning with that draft with Noah Hannafin and, and Jack Eichel and some of the other bigger names there, and then moving forward into this draft with this really strong with Americans, uh, it looks like every year they're going to turn out at least like, you know, three or four really good quality near star players, if not if not stars. I mean, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting to see how they how – they, uh, they designed the roster for the Olympics or the World Cup or whatever they, the, the next best on best tournament comes. So, uh, you know, but uh, keep an eye out on, on that, on guys like Cam York, like I said, and Matt Boldy. They, they should be making their debuts this season and uh, just, you know, add more to that, uh, their legacy is the, the best draft class in the history of the NHL. 
All right, that does it for today's episode of Center Ice. Thanks again to Steve Cornianos for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at The Draft Analyst and look for his website at thedraftanalyst.com. Center Ice is available on every podcast platform. Just look for the blue, white, and red logo. Thanks for listening and enjoy the draft, guys.